We're looking at Moses. Last week, we looked at Moses' parents, and we saw their example of courageous faith. The faith helped them to be courageous, and, and their faith helped them to not be afraid. And we asked the questions as we closed out last week, what courageous step might the Lord be asking you to take, and, and what step would you take for the Lord if you weren't afraid? And I don't know if you've been pondering those, but I've been pondering those this week, and it's, it's really been interesting to see how I've, I've done things a little bit differently than I would have done because I, I was able to step against some fear in some areas. Maybe it's the same for you. I hope as we go through these, these teachings, because they are so important, this chapter is so very important, we want to learn what it means to live by faith. We want to learn what it means to live our lives in such a way that, that we're living them according to the faith that's been given to us by God. And, and this chapter has been devoted to witnesses, examples who were commended for the way that they did that. And so each one of these is not just an exercise, and in, in, it, it's really a chance to impact the very core of who you are, and, and a chance and an opportunity as God's word speaks into your life to help your faith to grow even stronger. And so today we're looking at Moses and we're looking at this, this faith of Moses and seeing that living by faith turns your world upside down. And, and the first thing we see as we look at that is that living by faith chooses sacrifice. Now, as I've told you as we've looked through this, the, the author of Hebrews is, is, is writing to a Jewish audience. And since he's writing to a Jewish audience, he's, he's certain that as he comes and makes one-sentence statements that they understand what the uh, narrative is. They're able to relate that very quickly because so much, you know, I mean, we understand we have God's Word. We hold it in our hands, and, and we're able to open it, and, and we're able to look into it. And, but for them, as they were growing up, they wouldn't necessarily have had a copy of God's Word. It would have been oral, and so they would have been spoken this over and over and over. And so the grandparents would tell the parents, would tell the grandkids, would tell the great-grandkids, and, and over and over. And these accounts would be known so that the author of Hebrews is able to say, by faith, Moses, and the audience is able to go right to where it is in Scripture and know that narrative. And so that's what we'll do. We'll go to that narrative so that we can understand a little better what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. We're in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 11 through 15. We looked at 1 through, um, through 10 last week, Moses' parents. Now we're jumping into verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and laid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. And what we need to understand is that as we read Exodus chapter 2, 
What we're reading is Moses writing about this. Okay, Moses is the one under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who wrote Exodus. And so this is Moses writing about what happened. And so we see this, this uh, situation where Moses is, is now an adult and he comes on, a, a, one, on one Hebrew beating another and he steps in and, and then there's some fear that comes in. Fast forward into the book of Acts. And we looked at the book of Acts last week as well. And the book of Acts is Luke who has written this book and, and it's an account of the history of the early church as it spread. And in the very beginning of the church, there was this man named Stephen who was, who was raised up to wait on tables. And as he began to wait on tables, he decided he might as well share some of the amazing knowledge that he had and his relationship with God. And, and, and he was so full of the Holy Spirit and he started doing miracles and signs. And, and so he ended up getting called before the, the religious leaders to find out what in the world was going on. And as he gave his defense, he, his defense is actually a history of God's redemptive plan flowing through the Hebrew people. And in that section, we come, apart, uh, come upon this passage that talks about Moses. And starting in the middle of verse 21, Stephen speaks and, and he helps us understand what was thought at the time that, that was shortly after the time that Christ had ascended. So this is, this is the summary that God has provided in the New Testament of that account that's in Exodus. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, Moses, and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Now, isn't that interesting? As, as Stephen is giving this account before the, before the uh, religious rulers of the day, he gives us a glimpse, and Luke records this for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a glimpse into what was happening. Okay, God had placed it in Moses' heart, it says, to, to go out and, and to visit his brothers. And he thought that as he stepped in and defended this Hebrew man, that the brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. See, as he stepped into this, he really felt as though, this text tells us, that he was sent by God to bring salvation to the Hebrew people. And he thought that as he stepped forward and did it, that the Hebrew people would be like, oh, great, you're here. But they didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them. Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So we see that all of a sudden, Moses' life turns upside down. 
that, that he made a choice that, that completely changed the trajectory of his life. And in that, we see he was able to make that choice by faith. So the first thing we see, as I said, is that living by faith chooses sacrifice. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, it's a this song that we sang, right? I'd rather have Jesus than anything to, to be the king of a vast domain or, or to fall into to sin's dread sway, the pleasures of, of sin. As we, as we look at, at Moses at this point, we're not exactly sure who Pharaoh's daughter was. Historians have, have wrestled with that, and there's a couple of um, options there, but it's very possible that Moses being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter actually put him in line to be the king of Egypt. At any rate, you can imagine being raised in that way. He was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And Stephen, in his defense, helps us see that as he was raised, he was given all the wisdom, all the wisdom of the, of the Egyptians. They were the main power at that point in time. And so there was all sorts of wisdom that was to be had. And so he was taught and trained and he understood. He had all of this coming into his life. He had all the privilege that came along with that as well. He was living in the palace, says uh, probably several locations. And so he was, he was able to take advantage of all of that for the first 40 years of his life. But the texts that we read and, and the passage that we see here, it, it shows us that at some point, Moses understood and knew not only was he the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he knew he was a Hebrew. He knew his origin was the same as that of the slaves who were being beaten. He knew that. And he understood that. And I, I have to ask myself and, and think about the fact that he lived 40 years and never did anything about that. And I would imagine in those 40 years, he had seen plenty of times where slaves were getting beaten unjustly and unfairly, because at this point in time, the Hebrew people were under a great deal of oppression. Not only was he trained and have all the privilege of Egypt, he was one of the people of God. And I don't know, because Scripture doesn't tell us, but in some way, some shape, it seems, as we read the text, that he had an understanding of who the God of Israel was. And the text tells us that, that this day in Acts 7, Stephen said that, on this day, this time, God put it in Moses' heart to go out and be with his people and to make a stand for them. And by faith, he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter, and instead, he chose to be mistreated. He made a choice to be mistreated rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, living by faith chooses 
sacrifice. It chooses sacrifice. We're told that in, in Numbers, we're told that Moses was a very humble man. He was the most humble man alive, is what that verse tells us. See, he's choosing humility here. He's choosing that verse back, yeah. He's choosing to be mistreated. He's choosing humility. Remember in Philippians where it says that, that Christ, even though he had equality with God, did not consider that equality something to be grasped, but he, he came to earth taking on the form of a slave. He humbled himself. See, there's this idea of, of, of understanding that that because of sin in the world and because of what the effect of sin is in the world and what's happened to the world because of sin is that to take hold of, of, of what God has designed means that we need to step away from the pleasures of this world that are tempted by sin. And we need to step into a place where that's probably going to cause us to be mistreated. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, there's anxiousness, and so wanting to come, and, and you, you stop and think about, about Moses here choosing to be mistreated with the people of God. And as he chooses that, he's humbling himself. Imagine the difference between being the son of Pharaoh's daughter and being a Hebrew slave. That, that's quite a humbling. And he didn't have to make that choice. He could have stayed with Pharaoh's daughter. But something was happening, I believe. Something was happening in his life. God was moving in his life. Remember, when he was born... He was beautiful in God's sight. See, in God's sight, God knew he had a plan for Moses. And, and the salvation of Israel is the plan that God has for Moses. Now, who knows, maybe Moses thought, okay, I, I got this. I got this role, and I got this, so I'm going to go in. I'm going to make this happen. We don't know what he was thinking. But we do, though, we do know that he was ready to humble himself. In order, in order to, to be who God was calling him to be rather than to take hold of the things that, that were so temporary. There's an author, Amy Wilson Carmichael, and she was a missionary to India. And she went to India in 1895, and she was there for 55 years, never took a furlough, and worked among the, the orphans. And, 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 um, and she wrote a, a poem that just is so powerful about how do we do this? How do we, how do we make the choice to stand with God's people, right? Because, I mean, you go to school, and you, you, you kids, you go to school, and, and you've got all this stuff. The, the Egypt of our day, if you will, the, the culture that has all these fleeting pleasures, these, these things that, that we're being told are so important, and so you head to school and all these fleeting pleasures are being taught to you as this is what you should be seeking. And so how do you choose to stand instead with, with the people of God and, and to forego those fleeting pleasures? For, for you at work, 
for you as you as you go to work, as you as you're as you're in the community, all of those things, and in, in the decisions you make of of how to how to live your life. How do you how do you focus not on the fleeting pleasures of sin, but how do you focus on on being named with the people of God? From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain, free thy soldier who would follow thee, from subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus our spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified, from all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. See, the easy choice are the pleasures of Egypt. That's the easy choice. But the tougher choice to be mistreated with the people of God is the choice that carries even greater value. And that's the second point. See, first we see that living by faith turns your world upside down. It chooses sacrifice. But then living by faith fixates on the greater treasure. It tells us that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. See, there's this idea that Moses considered the reproach of Christ as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. When you choose to sacrifice, you choose sacrifice in your life. The sacrifice you're choosing is sacrifice in this world. And it's keeping your eye on the greater treasure that's waiting for you. And each one of these witnesses of the faith in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews are, are proclaiming that in their testimony and in their commendation. And Moses, Moses helps us see that this reproach of Christ, now what is that? What is the reproach of Christ? And as you look at that and you think about what is it in our lives, the author of Hebrews, as he, as he was writing to them, had recognized that they had already experienced this reproach. Back in chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, he says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So this group of people that he's writing to, these Jewish peoples, had already endured this reproach, this disgrace, this mistreating. See, when Moses came and said, I'm going to forego being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, I'm going to choose instead to be associated with the Hebrew people, he was stepping out of an earthly kingdom into taking hold of the heavenly kingdom. And the hand should be the other way. Because when I let go of the earthly kingdom, I'm letting go of something much less than the heavenly kingdom. I wonder how we can get to a place where we can experience disgrace as being of greater treasure 
greater wealth, the treasures of Egypt. Jim Elliot, in his famous quote, said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? The fleeting pleasures, these, these riches of our Egypt, the culture that we live in, the day that we live in, those, those treasures and those pleasures, you can't keep those. But if you could sacrifice and let go of those, you're able to take hold of that which you cannot lose. And that's the reward. Chapter 13. The author of Hebrews tells them, therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he had endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. See, I love that. We don't have a lasting city here, but we have a city that's to come. See, there's a reward that we can look forward to. What is that reward? In chapter 12, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. Jesus is the reward. And when, when we look at this idea of living by faith fixates on the greater treasure, sometimes I think it can be hard for us to understand what does that mean. And And if we're going to take a look at how to release the things that are temporary in order to take hold of the things that are permanent, we need to be looking to the Lord. Now, the word that's used there in the original language for looking to the reward means to be focused on, to be fixated on. And it it, it has the meaning, too, of not looking away. It means not looking away, it means looking right to. And, and I think one place in Scripture we get that is when Peter jumps out of the boat, right? And he heads out to see Jesus. And as long as he's walking on, as long as he's looking on Jesus, he's walking on the water, but the minute he takes his eyes off, he goes down, right? And, and so that's that idea. And I thought something that, that might help us understand this a little bit. Are, are, do you ever look at those magic pictures? Okay. Like this, there, there are these magic pictures, and inside there, there's a 3D image. Now, I realize I've lost about half of you for the next five minutes, but, but try to stay with me as you're looking, okay? Because here's the idea. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to a place in your life where you realize that the sin that you've committed, the things that you've done, have earned the wrath of God and have separated you from him and have secured for you a place in hell for all eternity? And that's harsh, yeah, but it's reality. It's truth. And yet God has demonstrated his love for us that he sent Christ to die for us. Have you come to a place in your life where you've realized that that the sin that you've committed has earned you wrath and, and separation from God, but that in Jesus, as you come to him, and as you say, God, I'm a sinner, and I know that I've sinned against you, and I ask that you'd forgive me. I repent of the things I've done. I ask that you'd take my life of sin and exchange it for your life of righteousness. I ask that you'd be my savior. I'd ask that you'd forgive me, and I will live my life for you. And at that point in time, There's something miraculous that happens that only God can do. He makes you into a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Your world is turned upside down, amen, and you see things completely different. You see, 
When I show you this picture, there's a lot of people who I've showed this to and they say, I can't see anything in there. I, I can't get those things. I can't see it. I can't understand it. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, you can't see God. You, you can't see him because you don't have his eyes. See, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, then you receive the Holy Spirit and he illuminates and you begin to see God for who he is. And when you look at this picture and, and, and if you have eyes that can see... There's a crossroads in there with a couple of guys, and, it's, and as you look into it, you begin to see the depth of a new dimension. It's, it's a third dimension that's in there. And all of a sudden, there's a beauty that's open to you that was never opened to, to you before. And you begin to see the depth of the picture and your colors and everything takes a different shape and it all looks brand new. And as you gaze on it, you begin to bask in the beauty. And then if you take your eyes off and look back, it's just flat again. I wish I could, I wish I could help you know how to see what's going on in that picture. But even more than that, could I say to you that the reason I do what I do is because I long for you to see the beauty of God, to see the beauty of my Jesus. I long for you to be able to have the eyes from God that come to you that you can see his majesty and his glory and his splendor and his holiness and his justice and his righteousness and his mercy and his love and his grace. I long for you to see God. I long for you to learn what it means to take the word of God and delve into it and see this God who has created you and fashioned you and formed you and, and set you in a creation with a design for your life and a plan for you that allows you to take hold of that future reward. And I long for you to know what it means to fix your eyes on him and to have your, 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 fix so, your, your sight so fixed on him that all these things, these temporary pleasures, these fleeting things, the treasures of Egypt, you're like, who cares? Because I'm not going to work so hard to hold on to something I can't keep that I'm not going to keep my eyes fixated on that which I can never lose. The reward that's waiting for me. My Lord Jesus. Can you see him? Do you see him? Do you know Jesus? We're so busy, right? Who here isn't busy, right? I mean, we are so busy. We've got so many distractions. We've got so many things that are trying to take our eyes off the prize. And so we're not choosing sacrifice. And we're not fixating. And we're not, we're not focused on, on being together with the people of God. Got our toes in the world all over the place. And there's a reason that we do, but, but listen, if you're going to live by faith, you're going to choose sacrifice and you're going to fixate on that beautiful, amazing God who created you and made you. And listen, that doesn't happen 
but just adding Jesus to everything else. And that's the final thing we see. See, living by faith turns your world upside down, chooses sacrifice, fixates on the greatest treasure, but then it sees the unseen. And how many of these witnesses in Hebrews have we seen that are focusing on the unseen? And here's Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as him who is invisible. See, by faith, he left Egypt. He wasn't afraid of the anger of the king. Now, I know in, in Exodus, when Moses is talking about this, he's talking about the fear that he experienced. And, and so that's part of it. But what the author of Hebrews wants us to see is that, yes, there was fear. But just as Moses' parents were able to overcome the fear of the king, so was Moses able to overcome that fear because he left Egypt not by fear. He left by faith. All right? It was by faith that Moses left. And it's by faith in the God who he feared. The reverence and the awe that we looked at last week, that, that unbelievable truth that, listen, when I'm focused on Jesus, when I'm fixated on him, when I've got him in my sights, there's nothing that can, what can man do to me? See, nothing. And so I'm fixated, and, and faith, you see, sees the unseen. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. The way you can endure what's happening in your life, the way that you can get through that, you just see him who's unseen. I consider our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, these light and momentary troubles, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. There's a greater treasure, and, and that greater treasure is what we fix our eyes on. And, and in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Every one of these mentioned in chapter 11 are receiving their commendation because of the confidence they had in the absolute promise of God, the word of God, and, and their, their absolute assurance that what they couldn't see is there. See, for the, for the believer, believing is seeing. It's not seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. Verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So listen, here we are. Do you believe that God exists? I mean, do you really believe that God exists? And listen, do you believe God exists in the way that he says he exists? Do you look in God's word and do you see who is this God that I worship? Who is this God that I believe exists? Because listen, a lot of people believe that God exists, but it's a God that they've designed. And it's a God that they've defined. And that's not God. If you're going to believe that if God exists in order to draw near, you must believe that he exists. If you are going to draw near to God, if you're going to be able to get the sight that lets you see the beauty of God and, and, and to focus on him and fixate on him, listen, you've got you've to believe that God exists 
And you got to believe if God exists, that God exists in a way that he is sovereign over you. And that brings you great joy because you know you are not exposed. You are guarded. You are protected. He holds you. The Father holds you. The Holy Spirit seals you. And you're like, if that's God, I'm drawn near to him. Because in the midst of everything I have, I need to know that there's a sovereign God who's over everything. And I put myself under him. Willingly. Gladly. I choose to be mistrusted. Whatever it takes. He rewards those who seek him. Listen, you can't add Jesus to everything else in your life. That's pantheism. That's just having all the gods in your life and just adding Jesus as another God. And that's not it. You will not draw near to him and you don't believe God exists. And you won't catch a reward because you're not seeking him. But if you come to that place where you said, oh God, you're it. I'm, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. Everything I have, it's, I'm yours. I repent, forgive me, take me. Seek him as your greatest reward. If you have never truly trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you have never truly given your life to God, don't leave here today. Draw near to him. Draw draw near to him. I want to show you how you can see him. Come up and talk to me. So I can tell you how you can see him and how you can fixate on him. If you're nervous to come up here, talk to the person next to you before you leave. If that person doesn't know what to tell you, both of you get up here. And listen, if, if you sang the song, I'd rather have Jesus, and you really meant it, amen. But listen, if you sang it and you thought, this is an old song, I'd rather have Jesus, Man, check yourself. Check your heart. If you're not sold out, if you're not ready to make the choice that'll turn your world upside down, could I lovingly ask you to check yourself and see if you genuinely have Jesus or not? Because it's way too important. There's a world that needs to know about Jesus and he's trusted the message to us. So what? So what? Out of all of this, are you ready to intentionally choose sacrifice? Are you ready to choose that? Understanding and knowing that's placing yourself under this amazing loving hand of God? Do you consider disgrace for the sake of Christ greater than earthly significance? Are there ways that you haven't turned from fleeting pleasures? What steps do you need to take to keep your eyes fixed on the unseen? A beautiful God, the amazing God, majestic and holy. And God, we come to you, majestic, holy, righteous God. Truly, you are an amazing and awesome God. And God, that you would send Jesus so that forgiveness could be available to us. God, we're wrapped up in Egypt here. We've been in slavery here a long time, and and it's gotten a hold of us. 
So help us check ourselves to see where Egypt has gotten a hold of us and to see the places where we've chosen the fleeting pleasures of sin and the greater tre- the treasures of Egypt and, and thought of those as being greater than your treasures. And God, help us fix our eyes on you. Father, if anyone here doesn't know you today, draw them to yourself. Draw them to yourself. Bring them to you in humility. And God, for those of us who do, waken us by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. May I ask you please to stand and hear God's good word for you. Pray that God will bless you. And as I pray that, who is the God that I'm praying will bless you? It's God. The blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen? Amen. Oh, God bless you. Give yourself to the Lord, and I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship.